Our scripture reading this morning comes from Colossians 1, 9 through 10, and 3, 1 through 17. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, my mic's on, nice and hot. Well, good morning. It is great to bring God's word to you this morning. Um, we are going to be looking at the passage that was just read for the next two weeks. So we'll kind of look at a majority of the, a little over the first half uh, today, and then move in to the second half next week, which actually fit in perfect with Ben's testimony that he shared today. But as Damon said, I'm Hudson Belk. I actually serve as a chaplain at Joe Gibbs Racing, and my family has been a part of North Cross for the last 11 years. So I think I know almost everybody here, um, but if I don't, I um, look forward to getting to know you. I'm also excited that one of my best friends, Matt Ham, and his family are with us today. Matt's on sabbatical and is a pastor at Hope Community. And his wife, Stephanie, who had to just step out, is my longest friend ever. We grew up uh, in the nursery of a church together. And uh, to me, it's just a good reminder of God's faithfulness to us. Um, so thankful. Yeah, they're here. So they will know this story. I don't, probably nobody else knows this story as we jump into our text today. But Catherine and I have been married 16 years and going into our first year of marriage, I wanted to do something special. And I got a phone call from someone on the phone that said, hey, if you do this survey, you can uh, be registered to get a, this great cruise and resort vacation for only $500. And so I hurried and looked online and 
the website looked legit, and I said, all right, I'll, I'll do the survey. And I do the survey, and we get this great cruise and resort trip for $500. I am stoked. I can't wait. And so summer comes, and Catherine and I take off to Fort Lauderdale for our first anniversary trip. And we get to Fort Lauderdale and show up to the port, and there's the big cruise ships, and, you know, we're showing them what cruise we're on. And like, yeah, you're, you're, yours at the very end of the, the row there. And we show up, and there was our cruise ship, a little bit bigger than a tugboat. It was very uh, unsettling. So we get on the cruise ship, and we take off to the Bahamas. And Catherine, Catherine's already suspect about cruises because she gets seasick pretty easy. And, well, I'll just say she was pretty nauseated as we were up and down, up and down. Um, the entertainment was questionable. The food, not much better. We made it to the Bahamas, and we did make it back, so that was a success. And so we got back, and we're like, okay, well, at least now we get to go to this resort in Orlando. And so we drive up to Orlando, past Disney World and all their nice resorts, and we make it to our resort, which you could imagine was not too much better than the cruise ship, a 1970s hotel with a tennis court with cracks, with grass growing up, a, a swimming pool that was about 10 by 15 feet. It was quite the disappointment. But we did, oh, the other catch was we got free passes to Universal Studios, and we did get to go to Universal Studios, and Universal Studios was Universal Studios. The only problem, though, was we were still so nauseated from the trip, we went on one ride and called it a day, and that was it. That was our trip. One, happy anniversary, Catherine. I'm sorry. Um, I learned my lesson. I learned my lesson that sometimes the sales pitch and reality, there can be a huge gap. It can be way out of balance from what I thought I was getting to what we enjoyed. In our passage this morning, Paul is praying. He starts off the beginning of our passage. Paul's praying for the church in Colossae that their lives would actually be in balance, in line with the the thing that's the most true about them, that they belong to the Lord, the gospel. So his prayer is that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to God. And so that's what I want us to look at this morning, this idea of walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. If you've read Paul's letters many times, you're probably familiar. This is a common theme uh, in Paul's prayers for the churches when he writes them, that they would live worthily. To the Ephesians, he says, I urge you to walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Uh, to the Philippians, he said, only let your life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. To the Thessalonians, he said, we encourage you and charge you to walk in a manner worthy of God. And actually, you can pick up on this theme in some way in almost all of Paul's letters to the churches that he wrote. So North Cross, God is calling us to live lives worthy of the gospel. It's all embedded in, in, our, in our mission of who we are as a people at North Cross. But are we living lives worthy of the Lord? Now, you might have a few reservations, even as I say, live lives worthy of the Lord. You might think, wow, that seems pretty impossible. Maybe a little legalistic, Hudson, or just confusing. Like, what do I do with that? What does it mean to walk, walk worthily with, with the Lord? I do want to clarify, Paul's not saying who, walk, who are worthy of the Lord. He's not saying that there's something in and of ourselves that makes me worthy and you not. That there's something in me that makes me worthy of God's love and affection and you not. 
No, we know that that's all sovereign grace. That's all the work of God. It's not something in and of me. He doesn't say those who walk worthy to receive the Lord. But the Bible tells us clearly that no one seeks the Lord on his own. Because of what I do, I'm not earning the gospel. That is not what Paul's telling the church. And he's not saying who walks in a way to repay the Lord. We can't repay the Lord for what he's done. His grace is infinitely greater than anything that we could repay. But his prayer is that our lives would be worthy of the Lord, that our lives would be in line with the gospel. We might want to ask the question, well, why is Paul always fixated on this idea? And every letter almost that he writes, it's, it's in there. Uh, and one is because he's been called by God to be an ambassador of the gospel, an apostle. He proclaims the gospel and he wants them to know what is, what's the effect of that into your life. But I think if we actually understand Paul's story, it also gives us a little bit of light into why he might care so much about living a life worthy of the Lord. And I get this from Sinclair Ferguson wrote a book uh, called Worthy, and he gives us biblical proof of this. But he encouraged us to consider the life of Paul, who is Saul. Out of anything, Saul was determined in, in uh, Galatians, he said that out of any of his peers, he sought to be uh, the most faithful to the traditions, that he wanted to be the top dog as it pertained to living a life worthy of God. Like, that's what he was set out to do. He thought he was blameless before the law. But Acts 6 tells us that there was a man that was probably in his synagogue who were introduced to a man named Stephen. Now, Stephen, what do we know about him? He was full of wisdom. He was full of faith and the Spirit, full of power, full of grace. And if you know the scene in Acts 7, Saul is there approving Stephen's execution. And while Paul, or Saul at that time, is approving his execution, Stephen is, Stephen is there. Um, he's just given this long discourse of the Old Testament and how the Jews had uh, forsaken the Messiah. They're stoning him, and Stephen's eyes are up. He's gazing at Jesus at the right hand of the Father. And as they insult, their, uh, as they insult him and stone him and bring him to his death, Stephen's life ends by him even saying the very words of Christ, receive my spirit, hold not their sins against them. And Stephen, or sorry, Saul, who's Paul, um, is looking at this and seeing, now that is a life worthy of the gospel. That's what I've always sought for, to live a life worthy of God. Now this is a man that I know nothing about the way he's living. And it actually promoted him to hate Christians all the more, and he kind of goes on this rampage for a while, but then two chapters later in Acts, it leads to Paul's conversion, as he came in contact with somebody who really lived worthy of the Lord, who actually saw Christ, who communed with Christ, who knew him deeply, and Saul knew nothing of it. Who are some people in your life that you know that walk with the Lord, whose lives are really in line with what they say? It's such a privilege for me this week, I watched the memorial service for Reverend Timothy Keller. And as they had the memorial service, it was a wonderful service centered on Jesus. But what stood out to me, and as I even heard other tributes this summer, is that he was a very talented man who accomplished a lot for the church. And yet what people praised him for was he was a man who walked in a manner worthy of the Lord. They talked about how gracious he was to his critics how he was a man who communed deeply 
with God, how he really sought to love and to forgive, how he did his ministry with integrity. Those are the things that they proclaimed. A man who walked worthy of the Lord. And Sam Albury, the, uh, who gave the homily, he said, Jesus Christ is the true and better Tim Keller. And he said that because Tim Keller always said the true and better. That was a common theme of his. But that is true. Because we, when we looked at Tim Keller, we saw, man, there's something about him that looks like Jesus. And the same was with Stephen. That's what Paul saw in Stephen's life as he was being stoned to death. And it's ultimately what all of us who have been called by grace, who are connected to Jesus, who know him, that Jesus is the true and better us. And but because we're him, we can walk with him and know him. And the good news is we are a part of the church. Here at North Cross, there are lives that are being walked in a worthy manner in a, that's worthy of the Lord. We have men here who have retired and are giving their life, sacrificing and giving their time and energy to see you, the people of North Cross, flourish. We have women in our congregation who are entering into very difficult situations with other women to grieve and to, to persevere with them. Moms and dads who are faithfully loving and serving and teaching their children for the sake of Christ. As we just had our call even for volunteers, men and women are stepping up to sacrifice and use their gifts for this church. The Spirit's at work. And he is, in line, he is lining our lives up to Christ and to the gospel. I know there's men and women here that are fighting against sin struggles. Men and women who are in prayer triads and who are in life groups who are honestly confessing their sins to one another, laying it out there, forgiving one another, and praying for one another. Even as our church is in transition, there's a great temptation for gossip and for division and yet there's men and women in this church who are fighting against that because we want to live lives worthy of the gospel. We want Je to know Jesus in our midst. So what does a life worthy of the gospel look like to you? And maybe where might you need to grow? Where might you need to repent? As I ask that question, you might sense, yeah, Hudson, if I'm honest, there's a much bigger gap between my life and what it's called to in the gospel than even I'd like to admit. That's true. As believers, we say that we believe in a God of grace and forgiveness, but at times, can it be so hard to forgive ourselves? Or we believe in a God who's good and sovereign, but we find our lives often impacted by anxiety and fear. They don't match. That's, that's out of balance. Or we believe in a Christ who has made us holy, and yet it seems like we continue to struggle with that same sin. I do. I fill the gap. I fill the gap each week. Chandler Knox often, well, Chandler, what do you often make fun of me about? FOMO. FOMO. Yes, I have FOMO, the fear of missing out. And it's so true. And Chandler always likes picking on me like, oh, do you know what I did this week? Yep, you weren't there. And he just promotes that in me. And some of that's fun and innocent and silly. But there's also, for me, a deeper spiritual um, issue there. Um, because I think I have to get everything in this life for me. Uh, and this is exposed often when I get angry and get short with Catherine and when I get short with the kids. It's exposed when I'm overbearing on them and often very demanding in a way that they feel like they don't measure up. And the reason this is an issue and it's a real issue is because a, a lot of times my heart disposition 
is towards me and me in this life not missing out and getting all that I think I should get and it can come out on them in sinful and harmful and hurtful for ways. I'm not living in line with the gospel and trusting the Lord's got us. He's gracious to us. And I want for my kids and my wife that to come out. But often I can get, I get out of line of that and I realize that is, there's a bridge there. There's a gap, or there's a gap there. And so how do we bridge that gap? How can we more faithfully live our lives worthy of the gospel? And this isn't just fancy talk or religious talk. And Paul brings us to chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, when he says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Paul's saying, you're united with Christ. You're in Christ, just like Stephen, who communed deeply with God in Christ, you have that same privilege. Christ has accomplished the same thing for you as he accomplished for Stephen. Is this the reality that shapes our life day by day, moment by moment? Rankin Wilburn, in his book, Union with Christ, he makes a helpful observation, I think, for Christians that often we struggle with this gap because we lack imagination, which imagination is not the thing I always think I, I need. Um, actually, I can struggle with imagination a lot. Catherine loves movies like Star Wars, and you know when Sid was preaching, he'd always give all these Star Wars and stuff. My mind just struggles there because it's so make-believe. I, I just struggle with imagination like that. And I don't think Rankin's calling us to have necessarily. I think that does help when we can imagine things like that. What he's calling us to is a sanctified imagination, like faith that we can imagine and see what is truly true beyond even what we see. Do you really know that you have died with Christ and you belong to him? That you are his? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the implications of that? I was watching a documentary on Arnold Schwarzenegger. Matt, I know you appreciate that. Um, we used to be roommates, and he, he was a big Arnold fan. But I was reading, or listen, or watching this, sorry, I wasn't reading, um, and Arnold grew up in Austria, but he was always fascinated with America. And he actually, when he was growing up, thought, I bet, I bet my parents aren't my real parents. I bet I have tr- my true parents are Americans. Because I love America so much. Um, so it just got me thinking, teenagers, what if today you went home and found out your parents weren't really your parents, and your parents were English royalty? That's who your true parents were. Biologically, your DNA, it all proved it. You are English royalty. Immediately, your imagination is going to take off. What is my life like now? Everything changes. How you view yourself, your, your capabilities, how you view your future and your inheritance, it's all going to be different now. And yet nothing has changed. You've just gotten locked into the reality that in my DNA, I'm a part of something so much bigger, so much greater, and it changes everything. Rankin Wilburn in that book says, Coming to see our union with Christ is like, put, uh, is like finally putting on a pair of desperately needed glasses. Wow, look at that. We see ourselves in everything with new eyes. We have a sanctified imagination. And that's what Paul's trying to get us locked in here. And he's bringing out this idea of being unified with Christ. We are in Christ. Over 80 times in the New Testament, Paul says you're in Christ. Over 40 times 
um, he says that you are in the Lord. And he gives even more examples of this. He's fixated on, if we're going to live the Christian life, we have to understand what it means to be unified with Christ. And a verse that brings this out that I love is Galatians 2.20. For I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Christ is in me. This is an important aspect of knowing how we're unified with Christ. But then it goes on and says, In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Me in Christ. If we're going to understand our union with Christ, we have to understand that Christ, that I am in Christ, and Christ is in me. So let's look at me in Christ. A verse that, uh, I'll give you one sentence, I'll give you part of one sentence. In Ephesians 1, Paul writes one sentence about what it means to be in Christ. And I'm not going to read the whole thing for time reasons. Um, but in just this one sentence, which is 12 verses in Ephesians 1, it says, in Christ, what do we get? We get every spiritual blessing that he chose us in him, that we've been adopted in Christ, that he has blessed us in the beloved, that in him we have redemption, that the riches of his grace, he lavishes on us in Christ, that in him we obtain an inheritance. In him you are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Paul wants us to know that this is the reality. When you put the glasses on, everything, what Christ has earned, he has earned for you. You can count it. It's in your credit that his forgiveness is always true for you. Justin, you are forgiven. You are in Christ. We get by faith all that Christ accomplished. His forgiveness, his inheritance, it's all ours. As a chaplain at Joe Gibbs Racing, sometimes I get pulled into different stuff that they have going on at the race shop. And almost every year we do a fan fest where all these fans come and they get autographs from drivers and get all this free stuff. And one year they said, Hudson, we don't have someone um, to be Kyle Busch. And then we have these costumes with like a huge head that's like a huge head of the driver and they're in their uh, suit. And they said, for half the day, we need you to be Kyle Busch. And so I was Kyle Busch. And I walk out of the shop, and there's fans everywhere, and kids are lining up to take pictures with me. And they're giving me high fives and telling me how great of a driver I am, and dads are giving me high fives. It was great. I was getting all the applause and attention. Then my little session was up, and I went into the locker room and changed and came back out. And I honestly, I came out for a second, forgot I wasn't wearing the uniform, and kids are walking by me and ignoring me. And I'm like, oh. But when I was in Kyle Busch, Man, I had everybody's approval, everybody's attention. Christian, you are in Christ. You have all that's the Father's. You are His. You are in Christ. But not only are you in Christ and by faith get all of His righteousness and all that's promised there, but He also says, Christ is in you. The pit crew, uh, sorry, last, J, last JGR example, the pit crew this week had a specialist come in and talk about um, how to recover and how to reset our bodies. And he was basically teaching them this, this idea of neuro neurological and physiological resets. And he said, God has created your body that there's inside of your body is a system um, that if you tap into can help bring healing and recovery. And so he talked about different techniques of moving your body and breathing to help tap into this healing system within our body. Well, here, if we are a believer, the Holy Spirit 
is in us. And, and Paul's calling us, tap into that reality. The power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. And so in our union with Christ, we get both by faith all that Christ has accomplished for us, and by faith, Christ is in me. That means I have the power to live a life of obedience, a life walking with and knowing God. I get both of those in Christ. That's why we read in our pardon of salvation that when one turns to the Spirit, when one turns to the Lord, there is freedom that we all with unveiled faces can behold the glory of the Lord. And what does that do? We get to walk with him. We get to know him. We get to see Christ. We get to take him in, and that changes us from one degree of glory for another. Do we realize the gift of the Holy Spirit in our life? I think we often forget that the Spirit of Christ is in us. That's, that's part of the union that we have with him. Moment by moment, when we're on the internet and we're clicking, Christ is with us. As we're searching it, searching on the internet, Christ is with us. We take Christ everywhere we go, and we can commune with him, and we know him. Um, that includes when your wife or spouse says that offensive remark to you. In that moment, Christ is with you. When you walk down the sidewalk in your neighborhood, Christ is with you. When you go to the ball game, to the school, when you do your taxes, whatever, Christ is with you. All of life is communion with God, and that changes everything. So practically, and this is what we'll conclude with, how does our union with Christ lead us to live worthily with the Lord? How do we connect the two? Walking in a manner worthy of the Lord requires, Paul says, that we live in reality what's already true. Put on those glasses. When we put on those glasses, he says, put to death what is, what is of the old man, which, what, what is not true of you anymore. You've been bought by a price to life. And so he says, put to death sin and put on Christ. And when we say put to death sin, or when we say to put off sin, I want to clarify. Paul is not saying that this is the final elimination of sin. No, on this side of heaven, we will continue to struggle with sin and the need to continually put it off, to not live in the old man. And he's also not saying, well, hey, now that you're a Christian, just pretend like, you know, you're holy and there is no sin. No, actually, to put off death, you actually have to realize, to, sorry, to put off sin, you have to realize sin's there. That it actually takes the Spirit to reveal that sin to you, to be honest about our sin. That's why every week we come together and we confess our sins. But in Colossians 3, 5 here, Paul says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness. Put it off. Mortify it. Don't make friends with it. It's opposed to who you are. God's done something so much greater for you. The Puritan John Owen said that this act of putting to death needs, it requires the habitual weakening of sin by looking to Christ, by identifying our sins, confessing it, saying, that is not who I am any longer. And it takes a fight. There's a true fight against our sin. So we need to know the ways of Satan. We need to know how he tempts us. And we need to know what it looks like to have success in looking to Christ. We need to know what we need to go to and the people we need around us to help us look to Jesus. Because he says, on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. God truly does hate these things. They will be judged. And if you're in Christ, these things have been ju judged on Christ. These, 
God's wrath has gone on Christ. So leave them, Christian. Leave them behind. That's not who you are anymore. And I fear sometimes we even misunderstand grace when we talk about you're forgiven or grace, grace. It's not an invitation to make friends with sin or to hide sin. It's actually an invitation to know we have been forgiven of it. There's no condemnation and we can now walk with freedom. We don't tell our kids, hey, play around with that fun, venomous snake. No, kill it, get rid of it. It really is not good for you. And Paul's saying the same thing here. Don't get comfortable living with your old self. Christ died for that. I think that we we do get comfortable with it. That bitterness that we want to hold on to because of what someone did with us, ah, I don't want to let go of that. Man, just participate in that little gossip. I mean, how bad is that, really? There's little lust promoted by what we watch. Ah, Is it really that bad? Kill it, is what Paul tells us. That's not who you are anymore. And he's not just saying, stop, stop. He says, that's not who you are. He gives us a positive vision. He says, put on. Who are you? You're God's chosen people. You're holy and loved. So put on compassionate hearts. Put on kindness, humility, meekness, patience. This isn't just a list of do's and don'ts. It's, hey, get in line with Jesus. You can walk with Jesus. Look what he's done for you. Get in step with the Spirit, with who you are. So in Colossians here, he's really getting at our heart position. Put off your heart sin of covetousness. Put on Jesus and be humble. See your needs. See yourself rightly as Jesus sees you. In Ephesians, Paul does something similar, but he actually goes to actions. So in the same kind of thing, he says, hey, if you're struggling with lying, that's not who you are anymore. Do not lie. Become a truth teller. Do not steal. Actually become a hard worker as you do it with the Lord. This is an invitation to look to the Lord and join him in his ways. And so the antidote to our sin is to look to Jesus and to walk in his ways. And so as we believe and delight in Christ, we grow in obedience. And guess what? As we obey in Christ, as we're obeying in Christ, it grows our faith and our delight in him. And that's the life of repentance and faith. I had a mentor pastor who said that he would regularly, each morning with his time with the Lord, he would just meditate on, with that holy imagination, what will heaven be like? What are those things that my heart craves now that I sinfully look to that's already promised for me in Christ? That is true for me. That is true for me. And he said it would help him say, okay, I can say no to that today because I got something so much better in Christ. That's who I truly am. And this, that's the process of putting off and putting on. And it's a process over time. So don't be discouraged uh, if today doesn't look a thousand times better than yesterday. But today you get to walk with Jesus. Think about the married couple who's been married for 50 years. Catherine and I like to look at couples and She's always made the observation, I feel like couples over time start looking the same. Like even physically, they start looking the same. Like, are they siblings or are they married? Um, And we know that personality-wise and everything, that over time, a couple that's been married 50 years can almost complete each other's sentences. They know what the other person's going to do before they even do it. Um, Because over 50 years, they've grown together in relationship. But guess what? 
they're no less married, or they're no more married 50 years later than they were on the day when they said, I do. But over 50 years, they've grown into that reality more and more. That's what, G- that's what Paul is calling us to, grow into the reality. As we walk with Jesus over time, may he continue to transform us. And may we enjoy him along the way. May we enjoy sweet communion with Jesus. Because he's worthy, and he's good, and he's faithful. He's so much better than my one-year wedding anniversary trip that over-promise and under-deliver. In heaven, he will blow us away with who he is. He is good. Let's pray. Father, we need you, and we just thank you that you are in our midst. It's so easy for me to see all the concerns and stresses of the day, um, all the things that we have on our plates, and I miss you. I am in Christ, and Christ is in me. Lord, help us long to know you more, that we might live lives worthy of the gospel. May you use our lives for your glory uh, and to really show off the splendor of the King we worship. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.